Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars dig in to the scripture for the upcoming Sunday. Whatever schedule you might follow, hopefully it'll be a seasonally appropriate text for your personal study or for your preaching and teaching in the upcoming week or weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And my guest this week is Daniel J. Freemeyer, who also goes by DJ Freemeyer, or sometimes I call him Dan out of habit. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he is here to uh, discuss a text from Luke chapter 12, verses uh, 13 through 21. Uh, chapter 12, 13 through 21. I asked Dan here because he's been someone I've been wanting to have on for a long time. He is a fantastic Bible scholar. He went to, uh, he does undergraduate work here at IWU a little bit after me. We didn't cross paths then, but we did later. Um, he was studied at Duke and then studied at Fuller. And so he's got all those, you know, MDiv, PhD, all those fancy letters after his name. Um, but Hopefully that stuff, I guess, obviously makes him all legit and everything, but I hope that you can hear that he is a uh, lover of God, lover of his word, and really just has, a, I don't know, just an endless wealth of knowledge on the scriptures and putting them in their historical context and then bringing it into really hard-hitting application in our own time. So I love studying the scriptures with Daniel Freemeyer, and I hope that you will too. So be sure to rate and review us and subscribe to us on whatever podcast app uh, you use. And with that, I say enjoy the show. Yeah, so would you be open to reading the passage and then I'll say a word of prayer. I would so, be open to. Yeah, so, so this will be for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Um, so this will drop at the end of July and uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 21. So Dan, go ahead and read the word. All right, Luke 12 starting in verse 13. Now someone in the crowd said to him, Well, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he replied to him, Man, who made me a judge or a distributor over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all forms of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the person's possessions. And he told them a parable saying, there was a certain rich man whose land brought forth a plentiful bounty. And the man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere else to store my crops. <laughs> and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my existing barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my produce and my goods. And I will say... To my mind, mind, you have an ample amount of goods laid up for many years. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God replied to him, You fool, this very night your mind is required back from you. And the things that you have prepared, well, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not generous in God. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Thanks be to God. Thanks for reading that. Let's say a word of prayer. Almighty Father, God of all things, giver of every good and perfect gift, the one in whom we have our hope, and in whom we can trust in all things. We give you thanks for this day, which you have made for this hour to which we have been sent to study your word, and for all of the ways that you have prepared us 
and our listeners uh, for this time of study. Father, I ask for the grace that by your Spirit we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, great. Thanks again for chatting with me today. Uh, What jumps out at you just at first glance today, or what kind of captures your imagination or interest as you were reading today? Well, as I was reading, it stood out to me that there's this anonymous person from the crowd <laughs> yeah <laughs> who obviously weird. uh doesn't want to be recognized just heard right hmm. um and asks jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance like what would compel such a person to talk to jesus about it yeah <laughs> who's not as Jesus said, who made me a judge or person who divides up inheritance? Why would you come to me to get me to advocate for your brother? Yeah, it is bizarre. And why would the brother count his own brother out of the inheritance? So it's a bizarre situation that Jesus kind of points out this is a bizarre question for me. Right. And if you want my take, then let me remind you about not coveting. Yeah. 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 Let me remind you about the dangers of greed. And then this parable is, <laughs> is interesting from, from the standpoint of uh, who at, if there is an inheritance to be divided up, yeah. that means that the parents of this anonymous person from the crowd has died, just like the person in the story, right. just like the rich person right, in right, the story. Right. Oh, good. Yeah. Right? And so this could very well apply to whoever this person yeah. is, their parents and the brother, both of their parents. Huh. I mean, that's funny that you say it that way, because I immediately thought of this parable as kind of at least subtly being directed towards any brother that might hoard. Right. You know, because he does speak to the situation, right? Yeah. Because if he warns in verse 15 to beware of coveting what others have. Obviously, the parable of the rich fool is directed, uh, or however, I don't know, we shouldn't necessarily call it that. I don't know if that term is, is accurate to the words exactly, but you know, he calls him fool. He calls you him fool, a fool. So that's good. That's and a, he is called. We sometimes a have rich these standard, <laughs> these, uh, these default names for things that aren't always, uh, spot on, you know, but right. they, they, <laughs> so, but I think in this case, it's okay. Uh, but the, the parable of the rich fool seems to be directed more to those who have. Right. And are, you know, confident in the, the, the hoarding of these things and the long, the longevity of their possessions. Right. Um, Which in this instance, it jumps out to me that, as you said, it could be directed towards the brother or it could be directed towards the person who's asking the question. If either way, if you get these, even if you get it, you won't be happy. (laughs) Here's what, right. Right. But the third, yeah, this is like the first layer, I think, I think of the brother. Second layer, ah, maybe him, if it worked out. It didn't even occur to me to think of the recently deceased parents. (laughs) Who have died and left in an area. It couldn't be too long ago or he wouldn't be still, you know, he probably would have moved on by now if it was years, if years had passed, he's... Typically, the inheritance would be distributed... In the moments before death. So okay. uh, it had to have been recent yeah, for a judge okay. to be able to decide. Yeah. So if it's been recently, I mean, I assume he wouldn't. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, in a way, all of a sudden, like, 
thinking of, I mean, there's initially maybe something insensitive referencing the death kind of thing here, but, but in a way by speaking indirectly in the form of a parable that, uh, that's the beauty of the parable is its fluidity where it can apply to multiple people. Yes. (laughs) Whoever can see that parable happening in their situation in life can apply the parable. Yeah. Sadly, this parable is only about one person who's a fool. So <laughs> to apply it means that you are the fool. Right, right, right. As all good parables work, right? They, you, they're kind of cast out there and you naturally think, oh, what a dummy. But then, ah, okay. Yeah. But am I doing the same yeah. thing? Yeah. No, that's right. That's good. Yeah. It's kind of strange. The concept of covetousness that both as a language issue, but even just the concept in general, it's kind of like, is it talking about wanting stuff that you don't have? Or is it talking about clinging to the stuff you do have? And mm. it's generally, you know, yes. Right. Like, right. The, like, and, and in many ways he's, these stories are kind of bumping in every direction, especially well, the generosity and richness towards God Yeah. in we, the final sentence. I, yeah. Often covetousness is viewed as wanting what you don't have. In this case, the person from the crowd who has a brother who has what he wants, right? Yeah. But then the parable is about someone who has an overabundance, Mm -hmm. but doesn't have storage. And so what is desired the coveting part of that could be the larger barns and the life of ease because to, for the land to produce so much, the person Mm -hmm. had to have worked the land and brought it forth. And so the coveting could be this, uh, eat drinking and being merry. That's the part I don't have. Right. Right. In a way the, there's always a covetousness built into stinginess even though stinginess can come can seem very sort of thrifty and responsible right. on the surface if it's in order to build for for know. the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um but it, it's definitely within the grasp of this rich man. Right. Which uh we often think of coveting as something not within our grasp. Right. It's outside of our grasp. We can't get it, but we want it. Yeah, it's pleonexios. Um I'm going to look this up later. I'm going to grab my Septuagint for later. Uh, (laughs) But pleonexios is this word for covetousness or I don't know if other translations. Yeah, covetousness, the word covet, because of its association in our minds and in the Christian tradition with the 10th commandment, Mm -hmm. it and it's covet your neighbors, this and that, right? So it's very clearly in the in the the structure of the sentence, whatever the meaning of the word, uh, clearly it's about somebody else's stuff. Right. right? And then you have words like stinginess, you know, or a miser, miserly. Yeah. These are words for things that we have that you're in generous, non-generosity, right? Uh, Pusillanimity is connected to that, right? The lack of willingness to let go of what you have. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, and then you have these ambiguous words like avarice, which can go either way. Avarice right. can mean wanting what you don't have or clinging to what you do have. It can play out either way or, um, greed, which right. I always, always, always till almost re- very least last couple of years of my life, always the term greed I thought of as trying to get what you don't have, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, but the term really has a double side. Although you're helping me see with the description of this guy with the bigger barns that that even the clinging to what you have is a kind of a willing of what you have to keep having it. Right. Which is not my right to know, to claim that I'm going, I'm not going to live forever. So I'm claiming something I don't know, which is this infinite life by which I can cling to what I have. So the notion that what I have today, I'll have tomorrow is a kind of coveting of my future self, right. as it were. I know that's a little weird to say, but... <laughs> no, I think it's definitely you are, in essence, desiring a future that you don't have at the moment, and therefore 
putting forth the effort to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's the thing about greed and coveting, as you mentioned, and avarice. You put forth the effort to obtain what you desire, what you want, what you think you need for the future. Man, I'm, I feel exposed at how avaricious of a person I am right now because I'm so <laughs> like – because the distinction is so clear to me between, well, I don't want what other people have. Don't touch my stuff. Right. Right. Like, and I think it's mine and I have a right to it in perpetuity. Right. That's such a default, a default notion of private property that just kind of dominates my consciousness, uh, both as an individual and my own struggles with being stingy, uh, but also just as a modern <laughs> American, you know, late capitalist, <laughs> you know, uh, citizen, I where there is property, yeah. both tangible and intellectual that you hold yes. on to and you don't let go of. That's right. And you definitely don't allow someone else to have it. Right. So generosity, generosity is this kind of free act of charity that I may give from mine, but it's by definition mine, right? That's a kind of, and if you think of it that way, then you separate justice from generosity totally. And, and it's like, I think my mind has shifted in that regard, but I think my heart's still catching up as it were, you know, like I still feel like, well, this is his stuff. If he wants to build his barns, I mean, that's his business. Right? Like it's hard for me not to hear it that way. Right. And, and I, and it's but not, the, it's not impossible. The original, original audience for all their difference from us would have also maybe picked it up a little that way. If there were wealth, wealthy in the audience to be like, Oh yeah, he's a, Seems like a responsible fella, you know, right? <laughs> Although I could totally see the brother. I never thought of it till now, but that the brother could have heard this parable and be like, yeah, stick it to him, Jesus. Like he might immediately think he's talking about his brother, not realizing, no, watch out. You're, you're just as, you know. And the brother could very well be someone else in the crowd. Oh, yeah. That's the vibe I interpreted. It was a man in the crowd said, hey, tell my brother who might, who might actually be here. Hey, Jesus, like... give us some teaching. It's awkward, but in another way, it's not. It's it's almost like he's being honest in a way that we sometimes aren't. You know, when we ask a teacher to speak on a topic right? and we put it in we the abstract. motives right. behind it because we want the teacher to speak to the person right. next to us or the person that we have in mind. and. Jesus does and to the person who asked the question. Yeah. So there's a brazenness here, but there's also a kind of an authenticity and boldness in this guy to just, I mean, he gets rebuked, but not too harshly. It's kind of, you know, <laughs> who am it's I? It's not a, it's not necessarily a rebuke, but I don't think, rebuff. I didn't a rebuff, yeah. not a rebuke, but a rebuff. Would a re you be willing to, <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to help you out, buddy. Questioning of motives. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. Okay. brought you to ask me this question, right? Yeah. Why did you think you should ask me? Okay. Is how I read it. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And if you really want to ask me, you're not going to like what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because the one who is storing up treasure for himself. And that's what the person's question is inviting Jesus mm -hmm. to help him do. Help me have my share of the inheritance. Help me mm -hmm. have my treasure. And so Jesus, in essence, turns the question around. Right. Like a good teacher does. Yeah. Be careful when you ask the question what type of answer you're looking for. Because mm. with Jesus, you get a, f a flipping of the question on its head to turn it back to you. Are you someone who is storing up treasure for yourself or are you being generous in God? Right. And then what would you do if you were being generous in God? Yeah. Would you be asking this question of me? All oh, that flipping around is really, that's really good. Yeah. We just, just a couple weeks ago, I had Amanda on and discussed the the good samaritan that's another one of those uh tricky titles that may mislead but um or the question there is the who is my neighbor right and the i mean you're just totally going to miss the story if you think jesus answers the question i mean he he ends it who was the neighbor what does it mean to be a neighbor not who is the neighbor i'm owed right who is the neighbor who who is my neighbor well you're the neighbor who are right. you going to be neighborly <laughs> to right 
great flip of the question. And I'm hearing you say there's a flip of the question uh, implicit here, you know, in a way, even in a, in a God's line spoken to the character in the parable in verse right. 20. So right. It's in the form of a question, right? It's, it's responding to a question with a question, you know. Whose will these things be? Yes. Right? When you die. And that's the question that he's asking Jesus. Would you tell my brother whose these will be? Yeah. And God's question at the end is, whose will these be when you die? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really good. Well, let's take a quick break and come back to that and, and zoom in on a couple of these themes. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Dan uh, Freemeyer, and we are looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Just finished doing some observing and already a bunch of great insights there. I'm, I'm excited about where this is going. Thanks again uh, for doing this. Um, I had at least two questions uh, for you. Uh, questions that, like what God asks? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not as uh, – they're not as uh, – they won't be as morally troubling. They're just okay. curiosities, curiosities. All right. um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll ask both and you can decide which one we'll start with. And we may only get to that one. Um, first is this phrasing at the end is strange to me and worth exploring a little bit. What does it mean to be rich or generous unto God in God? I'd like to talk about that. Yeah. Even get into the language a little bit because there's a, quite a bit of translation variation on the term there. Yes. That's, that's the end. The beginning is, I'd love to hear you geek out a little bit on a little bit more. You already gave us one little thing, but some little bit more about inheritance and how this stuff worked sure. in the, uh, in second temple Judaism and Greco Roman world, whatever context you think will be helpful. Yeah. Um, so wherever you want to start, we can pick it up. It's like, it's like the beginning and the end. So you pick it up the stick from either end, but. If it's all right, I'll start with the second. Okay. And yeah. Move to the first. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, just to talk about inheritance, I think can help frame the uh, comments about being uh, rich in God. Ah, okay. Um, so inheritance is a topic that there are. There is a robust amount of information in the ancient Near East okay. about inheritance because most of the writings are in regards to inheritance debates and arbitration of property. I'm thinking particularly of – If you of, never wrote or read a book your whole life, you still would have last wills and testaments exactly. as it were, right? Okay, okay. And so every, it's much it's wider than – It's not just the literary each, classes, but – in each social context, ah. you're going to have this concern of what happens to the goods after someone dies. So you can even do some comparing and contrasting in different settings even. Sure. Okay. Oh, that's great to know. So this is one of these things we're not get, doing as much guesswork as right. we do with other things sometimes. <laughs> okay. There are yeah. very specific uh, set of regulations for each society. Oh, that's fantastic. So, Oh, well, Illuminus. <laughs> the ones I'm most yeah. familiar are the Akkadian texts talking about okay. inheritance. And if you have a, uh, if both parents die, then the inheritance is just divided, distributed as the person is asking amongst the children. Okay. And, each child should get a share. So it's rather striking, and it would be from an ancient Near Eastern perspective, to hear that the brother has not given – divided this up. Okay. It should be divided amongst all That'd the children. That would be the default. That's the default. Both parents are died. Okay. Unless, of course, there are extenuating circumstances. Okay. For instance, if the child was adopted, there can be uh, certain – uh, stipulation set emotion okay with the adoption where the person may not have the inheritance or if the person has left the country and uh has amassed wealth elsewhere 
Okay. That could be an extenuating circumstance where you wouldn't have the division of, of goods. Or if the person has renounced the uh, inheritance, thinking of the uh, the lost son in, in okay. particular, that parable where the, the person has already taken in the inheritance or already in some way forfeited what should be passed by having on to had them. a portion prior to departure or whatever. Okay. So it's striking that this person doesn't have an inheritance. Okay. So that at least at first glance, at first glance, some kind of injustice has been done or perhaps he's not. or he's some kind of second perhaps. class. Yes. Son. The, or okay. that there's something that has happened that he has disqualified himself. Oh, wow. So this plays right into all kinds of themes in Jesus' ministry, especially in Luke. Exactly. Okay. So That's why he'd be attracted to Jesus in the first place. Is why this guy might be in the crowd. Is This might be some well, I who think, feels some kind of I outsider think status or something. The context of Luke provides a great yeah. uh, illumination for why he might be asking, because Jesus is just talking of, talk to the crowd about beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Right. The Pharisees who are doing all these things to get rich. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yet pretending like they're not. Mm-hmm. Beware of that. And this person could be hearing that and thinking, that Jesus is on my side. Right, 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 right. Here is my brother trying to get rich. Yeah. And I but could they're seeing appeal the, to him. They're seeing Jesus' teaching as applying to somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> themselves, right? That's why. Which we, uh, in happens human nature, right? have course. a tendency to do. Yeah, get him, Jesus. Yeah, right. <laughs> the other extenuating circumstance oh. is uh, in Roman Greco-Roman context, where if the person has uh, committed a violation against the state, okay, could be disqualified and no longer a citizen, and thus no longer privy to the inheritance. Okay. So there could be some sort of political. Uh, situation that has happened for this person. Whatever the case, this person wants an inheritance that no judge is going to give him. Gotcha. That's why he would come to Jesus, who's proclaimed the who has proclaimed the, this. the year of jubilee back in Luke four. Right? You might right. think, hey, does this mean there's reset? You're here for the oppressed, yeah, right? I'm Jesus the oppressed. is. I am the oppressed. Got it. And that view of I am the oppressed is what Jesus kind of flips on yeah. its head even earlier in Luke with Nazareth. I didn't write when he talks about Elisha and right. the widow, the widow wasn't in Israel right? and yet God blessed her and that, and the people are realizing you're not here to help us. We view ourselves for are, everybody, not just, we the, view ourselves as oppressed, but perhaps you're calling us oppressor. Yeah. And so Jesus flips that and flips this here as well, where the man is viewing himself, this, whoever this is, is viewing himself as oppressed by his brother. And Jesus seems to indicate that's not the case, which leads me to the, can I comment on the first one? Please. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. If they're, if they're more connected than I realized, then (laughs) hoorah. So go for it. In, uh, in the Torah, there's a fantastic author named Christopher Wright who draws attention to the fact that the Torah claims the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Well, if everything belongs to the Lord, then the Lord lends. Okay. So you possess nothing except in God, except what God gives you. And I think... The wording of there was a, was a rich man yeah. whose land produced fruit. It wasn't right. the rich man who produced the fruit. The land. The land. The agent, implicitly then an instrument of divine agency. Exactly. Because right. okay. the land belongs to the Lord. And you okay. are merely a tenant who takes care of the land on the, the Lord's The land behalf. of the rich man bear fruit. Nice. Yes. And yes. so if everything belongs to the Lord, then... The Lord has entrusted it to you to distribute as the Lord sees fit, not as you see fit. This man sees that he has barns that are full, Mm -hmm. which means he has more than enough. Yes, yes. Well, what does he do with the excess? 
wants to hoard it for himself. Wants right. to hoard all of it. The mm-hmm. all is is important. I will store all my, and it's my grain, not the Lord's grain, not the Lord's goods. Yep, Panta. Yep. It's all mine. It's not the Lord's. And so it suddenly becomes possessed, possessed mm-hmm. by him. And God's response is, your, your psyche, your mind, yeah. your soul will be bought back. Right, because it turns out I also lent that to you, buddy. I lent your life to you. <laughs> it's like, and now I'm taking it back because yeah, you didn't, yeah. even in this parable, a striking feature is he, this rich man didn't even give the first fruits to ah, God. Okay. Right? Which are required in the Torah. No first fruits, definitely no access, which should go to the poor. Right. <laughs> as Luke says, or, as G. Uh, John says earlier, the one with two tunics, give right, to the one right, who has right. none. You've got enough. Right, right. You've got enough. Which is rooted straight out of Leviticus. And, yes. Yeah. When you have an abundance, offer it to those who have a yeah. lack. And this person and doesn't do that. merely out of the kindness of your heart, because it's actually a matter of justice. Right. Because it's not yours in the first place. Because it belongs so to the Lord. any excess goes to so those the Lord, the Lord has chosen. has the right to take it back. Yeah. His life... His goods, take it back and distribute it as the Lord sees fit. And then in this case, of course, to take his life is for these, uh, for this grain, though not his plan of new barns, since he hasn't told it to anybody. Right. Uh, since he's just talking to himself. It's all in his soul, head. <laughs> uh, which is uh, not irrelevant, I think. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, of course, then it will implicitly, uh, at least, at least initially, this is going to go to his children. And we're back to the cycle at the beginning of the story. Exactly. That's why these, these two stories need to stay together. Well, in you know the, what I mean? In this instance. And then the question is raised to the next generation. In this instance, right? what is what in the barns is the inheritance. Right. Right. So if this person dies, the excess goes to the poor anyway. Oh, right. Okay. Any new. Any right? new beyond what is in the barns. Would not be divided up amongst the inheritance. Okay. Unless they found a way to be stingy about it too, or is at the moment of death, then some of these expectations would become overseen. Are you talking about what ought to be the case or what will be the case? Well, I mean, it's parable, but yeah, it it is a parable, but what would uh, a judge decide? Sure. In the, in the instance of an overabundance that isn't a part of, Gotcha. Possessions of the person, right? Because gotcha. if, if it's not in his barns, it has to be stored somewhere. Gotcha. But not in his possession. Right. So he's probably even maybe have his work, the so-called working poor yes. who've worked his fields. Who have worked his fields. Who are holding this stuff. Are holding who it Who should just for be him. able to keep it. Uh, and they would. They would keep it. Normally that would be, hey, that's for you. Right. Okay. And because he's trying to go it. collect it. Yes. As mine. Oh, that's so, that's so helpful. Painting a more, uh, rich, uh, sort of historical cultural picture. Can I just ask a quick question? So these Akkadian texts, we're talking, what time frame would this be that um, you're referring to that you started out with? Yeah. So the Akkadian texts run, uh, there's some early ones, 3000 BC. Okay. But run up to about 1,800, okay. some 700 BC. Okay, so those are very informative then for the the cultural context of the Torah, right. which at least as a text and its traditions is still determinative for um, Palestinian Jewry. Here. Yeah, a little bit. I was curious if there's any, are there any twists and turns in any of that? Are there any... Th- sort of new things in the mix by the time you get to Jesus time, or are these kinds of practices pretty, pretty standardized except for some of these Greco Roman intrusions that exactly. might come in, right? Some of these Imperial factors and stuff. Okay. Well, every Imperial, uh, set of legislation 
adds its own twist. When gotcha. The Persian are they usually layers on top of what's already there? Usually, They're not a whole new set of practices. That's usually, usually. hard. Most empires don't last who try to do that. But <laughs> right, you will twist or change a few things okay. that will benefit whoever is right. in power at the moment. Were there any major twists and turns uh, in a kind of Roman period? Absolutely. That would be relevant. You mentioned one, the crimes against the state of some kind. The elevation of uh, the Roman citizen. Okay. Inheritance becomes very closely tied to Roman citizenship. Got it. Okay. And so the amount of inheritance um, and the type of judge you could receive depends upon (laughs) citizenship. We see this playing out in the scriptures a little bit, not on inheritance matters, but... With Paul being able to appeal to Rome and all that kind of stuff. So if you had a citizen, citizenship would mean you would have access to a much more complex and beneficial legal system. Right. And usually the twist here is usually um, if you mention – if you remember, Paul has this conversation with a a jailer who talks about how he – or sorry, with a soldier who talks about how he purchased his citizenship. So you have to be rich enough to purchase it if you weren't by birth, right? Right. And so to have a rich person in the parable, this person's wealthy enough to purchase some type of citizenship. And he may have some kind of legal status, which is why maybe he was planning on exploiting to exploiting the, the poor because they would have no one to, to appeal eat, to drink and be merry right they Got don't it. have the wealth to purchase a citizenship he's so elevated. he's he could exploit his sharecroppers which is right. the way what they would be right yeah absolutely and he would he knew he, he would have the confidence of being able to pull this off even yes. though it's in contradiction to torah and to even broader ancient near east traditions right uh because he would have the backing of the imperium Yes. Oh, it's always there. The, the empire is always hiding behind, you know, when you just, just spend a little well, time. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's always a factor. In right, play. right, right, right. And that's what's so brilliant about the parable that Jesus offers. Like, if you oh. want a teacher to offer a parable, this is one that brings everybody in and everybody's motives because everybody wants yep. to live well. Yep. Everyone wants yep. to eat, drink, and be merry. And that desire is actually what leads to the statement, you need to be rich in God. Yeah. To be rich in God means you recognize that everything you have belongs to God. And that God is the one who distributes everything you have. Okay. So that phrase is... It doesn't depend upon the empire. <laughs> right. It depends right. upon God. Right. That's the one thing that can kind of transcend. Not kind of. does transcend. The empire And therefore implicitly also undermines. This rich man <laughs> the, from dying and passing on right. everything that he has. Right. Because it's, pre- it's precisely the power over life and death that gives the Roman Empire its semblance of, of hegemony. Yes. And yet. Okay. Yeah, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Oh, this is really good. This is really good. And it, and it I love how this is one more layer. So we said earlier, right, in the observation phase we were talking about like okay, this is a this is a critique. This is a generic critique of rich people who are <laughs> who might be uh stingy, right? Uh then but it's it's an it's a critique. Sure, it's a critique of the man's brother who's withholding but it also calls out the the man himself right. for the covetousness with that leads him to want to end up being like the rich fool himself well, and raises the question of the parents and just the whole system that this guy's a part of. But one thing we haven't talked about is it also calls out the crowds. Right. Why are the crowds there? Yeah. Why do you want to be here? Are you just – you just think I'm going to make you guys rich? Am I going to do – Actions that yeah. free you improve your life. Right. Is that how you perceive me? But none of this is implying that somehow um, the Romans are not engaging in unjust oppression as well. It's like he's he's granting that even the story in their context would be understood to be oh well he you know the rich and powerful 
would back this guy up. Yeah, absolutely. But he doesn't let them off the hook. No. And that's, so he's a good prophet. He's not, he's not giving anybody. <laughs> he's a good prophet yeah. that is not going to be well liked because of this message. Yeah. In other words, a good prophet. <laughs> well, he's a well liked prophet. There is no such thing yeah, as a well-liked prophet. This is called false prophet. This is, right? <laughs> this is invasive into the very, into the, what is close at the people's heart. Yeah. And later he's going to get mistaken for a revolutionary. Yeah. And like the two who were crucified with him in Luke, he is viewed that way, even though, because he's saying this type yeah. of economic order is not God's. Right. So it is revolutionary from one point of view. Yes. The, the critique is itself a revolutionary critique. Yes. The, the, the diagnosis is revolutionary. If the prognosis isn't, maybe you could say, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, well said. <laughs> Cause Oh, thanks. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like his rhetoric is clearly identifying injustice from top to bottom. It's not a, you know, the Romans and the rich are fine. Stop whining. That's not what this is. This is not a, he's not taking sides with the rich against the poor. Correct. But he's not precisely, but he's not precisely doing the opposite either. It's much more subtle. He's calling out the, the covetousness within, you know, I think the, within the hearts of his own crowd, it is subtle, but it's not subtle as well. (laughs) Right. Because this is a very overt, the problem with viewing oneself as oppressed Mm as uh not having enough is that as he'll talk about later you're saying god hasn't given me mm-hmm. and you're saying what you have isn't god's right and so you shouldn't be in a position where you're worrying about these things right because that is what is oppressing you gotcha okay the oppression is the worrying about the funds is the desire and the coveting of the funds and the riches not. And the way to free you from that, to set the oppressed free is for you to recognize it all belongs to the Lord anyway. Yeah. That's what it means to be. Yeah. Pluton ice theon. Yeah. To be, to be wealthy in God. Because God is the one who has all wealth. Wealthy unto God. Wealthy before God. Yes. Um, huh. So I hear you saying that it's pleonexios, it's covetousness that oppresses us. And the right? greed and the avarice that right. we were mentioning before. That's the oppression that Jesus comes to set them free. Yeah. So that's why it's so important then for him to say, um, take heed and uh, guard yourself, mm. uh, you know, fulasseste, uh, guard yourself from, epo, away from, passes all pleonexios, right? right? All coveting um, and seeking after wealth. You right. Know? Like and, you would, like this rich man would do forest crops. You would guard them. Yes. From all invaders. Right. Nice. Good. Recognize that covetousness or greed or avarice is right. the invader. Right. And all of a sudden the word all there is clicking to me in a key way. Mm. Guard yourself from all forms. All forms. Of, of greed because sure, it takes its blatant form in this rich fool. That's why I assume <laughs> he's telling this story in a way like, most of the, I'm guessing most of the folks in Jesus crowd would immediately like, ooh, boo hiss, this, this rich fool, yes. right? At He's least in the picture we get of Jesus Trying to get fans, wealth right? off the backs right. of others. Right. So they're immediately not going to like this guy, right? right? He's a sort of easy villain. Uh, but, um, that's why I was, that's what makes me say it's subtle in the sense that it's not, it isn't that it's pretty in your face because he's already told him up front, you know? Beware of all greed, not just that kind of obvious greed. Right. Right. Um, Stealing from your brother, not denying your brother an inheritance. That's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but your job, but sin is crouching at the door. It's almost like saying that to, right. To, exactly. the, to the brother. Yes. But sin is crouching at the door for you too. And since right. you're the one here asking me, I'm going to talk to you. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play judge and arbiter between you and your brother. 
Right. If you're here, I'm going to speak to you and you need to watch out. Well, you're just as in danger of greed as you claim your brother is. And it points out a a key flaw in the certain man coming to Jesus anonymously is that this man doesn't recognize who is the judge and arbiter. That God is the judge and arbiter. That's who you should be taking up your case with. Right, right, right. Like the psalmists do. Right. You take it to God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like a lot of things, uh, like a lot, like a lot of vices. Um, one of their, one of the best way to curb a vice is to take it in prayer. <laughs> Cause there's, a, there's all these things, you know, like, like anger, yes. you know, wrath. If it can learn to be properly directed in prayer to God, it by that process becomes sanctified, you know, and becomes, you know, blessed rage for God's holiness. <laughs> you start to, tr- you know what I mean? Like right. God defend your name. And, and, and covetousness and greed actually in the context of prayer can become generosity of spirit. It can become, you know, it can become, it can be transformed, you know, like yeah. Lord bless me so that I may bless, you know, like uh, and you make praise. vows that I will, in terms of what I'll do with the gifts that you choose to give me. Right. Uh, oh, that's really good. So there's an implicit uh, invitation to turn in prayer. Yeah. Why do you come to me? Take your case to God, who is the arbiter and judge amongst us. And that can go for anyone. We often will take our cases to uh, yeah, who we see as powerful, who we see as able to help us, but forget that the one who is the ultimate judge is God. And let's take our case to him. I'm going to start saying this to my kids. <laughs> who made me judge and <laughs> divider over you when they're fighting over <laughs> oh well alright let's Great take a quick break and, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> let's take a quick break and uh, when we come back uh, let's write a sermon and we're back uh, welcome back to Fresh Text I'm here with Dan Freemeyer, and we're looking at Luke chapter uh, 12, verses uh, 13 through 21. And we've done some observing and some interpreting. And yeah, now I just want to see where we might want to take this. Uh, preaching, teaching-wise, you know, we kind of think of our audience as a whole range of folks from uh, people who are just doing their own personal edification to people who are quite literally preaching through the lectionary. And I mean, we have some listeners who like, they listen to this Monday morning and that's the beginning of their, or at least a, a jump start as they re-enter into their weekly sermon prep. Yeah. Um, so we don't need fully cooked ideas here. We're just kind of, what are some directions we might go? Yeah. Uh, whether we're preaching or teaching Sunday school or just personal study, where, where's a focus? Where, where might you run with something like this? I think a text like this one, like a parable, lends itself to to modern day parables mm. where you can uh point out stories of desiring to build something bigger desiring mm-hmm. to get an inheritance it's all there in the text and it's all yeah. there in society today that's right in the minds of of the people who are going to be coming how do I have more? How do I, at the end of my life, be able to eat, drink, mm-hmm. and be merry? And with a text like this one, it lends itself to any sort of modern illustration about mm-hmm. lawsuits, about division, arbitration, and sadly, yeah, leads to the cost of being willing to give those up. And that's where you would want to take, that's where Jesus takes this parable. Uh, Don't store up treasures for yourself. That's a hard message Mm -hmm. to deliver, especially for those who are storing up treasures for themselves here. Yeah. How does someone deliver that who isn't willing to give up everything and count the costs as Jesus said? 
be willing to take up your cross and give up your life. So for those who have, this text can uh, can lead to the lack of popularity that Jesus experiences. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's one of the reasons I encourage people to, at least if, if only for a season, take up lectionary preaching. Not because the lectionary is perfect, but because it forces you to preach texts you might not choose to teach on. And that can be uncomfortable for yeah, us. Yeah. Like, this is one that touches desires to store up to yeah i mean have in a bank in a bank account in a retirement account access retirement's the first thing that comes to mind for me when i see this it, the the tension between this instruction and just the sheer act of uh retirement savings mm-hmm which seems like one of those kind of like base level grown up responsible things that you're supposed to do, you know, start investing now yeah, for that future day so that you can eat, drink and be merry then. That's right. Yeah. And, and I can, I can spin and jump and identify all kinds of cultural changes that make it, you know, different. Um, but you still come back that it, that it stands in tension and, and uh, judges us because yeah. we've structured an entire society and around notions of um, compounding wealth and from oneself society. and generosity as an optional action on top rather than right. an act With of justice VCV. And that can be the danger God's ownership. of this story where you highlight, look, he had, this rich man had access and didn't give it to a charitable cause. You should right. give it to charitable causes. Well, that a is free, a form right. of yeast of the Pharisees that can be a danger. Well, okay. 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 Listeners out there, fresh text listeners, <laughs> you, at the very least, you now have an instruction on what sermon we would like you not to preach. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't preach a sermon about um, charity as over, as somehow an act, a free act over against justice. What's right. just is it's yours and you're allowed to compound the interest on it. You know, if you say that, that's yeast of the Pharisees, baby. Right. <laughs> Ouch. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Gonna have to have you back. You're keeping us honest. I like it. But yeah, no, I mean, you can't just kind of get us. You, you actually ironically undermine the very, because of that, that would be an example of, of a, text completely. of a, of a, uh, uh, a quick correlation. Oh, he has the extra. He should be giving the extra right. quote Leviticus even that, on the surface seems to correlate, but at a deeper level is actually contradicting the spirit of the text. Yes. Which is this whole mindset, things that you pointed out. It's the land that produced, that it's mine. It's not ours. To and be rich in God, right? That's, that's the mindset shift. That's a difficult message to get across because there are quite a few societies today that teach or that actually glorify the accumulation of wealth and the, the vines for what you should have, but didn't get right. Right. Or that you desire and go pursue that dream. And this undermines that and says, everything that you have is from the Lord and the Lord should be the one to divide it. However, the Lord sees fit. Yeah. Not you. Yeah. So how do you communicate that today? Retirement is a is an I couldn't option. help but bring it up, you know. And uh, then the question counts yeah. and uh inheritance is all options. Um reparation for what has been done. Uh that uh, some brother has denied you what is yours. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we all have uh, people who we feel like have not given us our fair share. And Jesus says, you might be the fool because you have let in a little bit, some form of covetousness or greed, and it's oppressing you. Yeah, that's good. That I had this story. It's, it's, a, it's a little old now, but I'll, I'll tell it insofar as it may help our listeners 
think of parallels in their own lives and experiences. But I had this friend who borrowed some money from me one time and I wrote a little IOU and put it in my wallet, you know, just because that's what we do, you know? And it wasn't that much. It didn't matter. It wasn't a big deal. Do you know what I mean? But it was there and I'd see it, you know, every six months when you're cleaning out your wallet of old receipts, you know what I mean? Right. And I'd see it in there and stick it back in, you know? And it just, it was a kind of, it was a, it was a classic case of covetousness kind of building, burning a hole in my soul Mm. by being in there. Just the physicality even of this IOU. Yeah. Um, Because that is. It's saying that was mine. It's against even the yeah. instructions in the Torah that say, give to the one who asks without expectation anything back. of return. Just keep it. If I, if you pay me back, great. If you don't, whatever, don't worry about it. Right. You know, and that word that Jesus uses for the rich man or that God uses, I, I will demand back. Yeah. You're your, calling in the loan, your psyche. That is that what you just mentioned, that story right there. Where you have lent this something. Night your soul is required of you. Yes. You have lent something Afron. and you are taking it back. It's a pay tusen. tusen. Yeah. Okay. You're wow. taking back what has been lent. And God said, I lent all of this to and you. Guess and what I'm, I'm taking back? I'm taking, taking back, back your psuche, <laughs> your very life force, you know, right? Right. Getting it back. Um, how all those barns doing you now? Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so I had this and it affected our relationship a little bit, but it was more just, it was oppressing me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I had a sermon on a very different kind of text, but I actually used this, told this story and actually got it out of my wallet and tore up the IOU in the sermon. Now that's a stunt and it's kind of a false stunt if I like, I, I didn't, I was in my church. I didn't have two services, you know, like it would, I don't know how well it would work because it was an actual act, you know, um, a real act of letting canceling a debt. Yeah. And I didn't even tell the person we never talked about it. It was all up in my head mm. and that's not irrelevant to the story. And it was something I wanted to point out from the text that I don't think it's an accident that this, that this avaricious rich man has, is having this whole conversation with himself. There is something isolating. Yes. And and in a way, Jesus is painting a warning, a picture of where you will end up on this. If you, to, to the original man who asked for the help. Yes. Perhaps with isolate. cause, right? Perhaps he had a, perhaps. it's perhaps he did. Perhaps he didn't. That's not what concerns Jesus. As right. he says, who made me judge an arbiter over you. I'm not in a way he's saying, I'm not interested in your case for why you might be right or wrong. Either way, look where you're headed. This is where you're going to end up. Yeah. Isolated with your riches. Dialoguing with yourself. Dialoguing with yourself. And, and so I think the isolation of avarice is not um, an irrelevant theme. Again, that might be a side point, but it's not, it's not a side point because our modern notions of wealth are bound up with the notion of an individual and yes. the individual's private property. Right. Um, and it, yeah. it, yeah, puts up barriers with other people, right? And we feel unsatisfied because we're not making the connections yeah. with others that we could, because we've isolated ourselves. Because we don't want to owe them. We are in do some sort of. This man is in a prison, even though he has a lot of bar- of grain and a lot of wealth. The barn is his prison that he has isolated himself in. Yeah, I thought twice to call you in for this last minute uh, taping because, I, you know, I didn't want to owe you a favor, you know, like you're doing me a favor doing a late night recording. I mean, that that thinking comes in and I swatted it out and I'm like, no, Dan wants to do this. I need a favor. He's my friend. Call him up, you know, and there's um, no, no problem. such IOU, right? right what are right, the right, right? What are the IOUs or sorry, more to flip it on the head? What are the UOMEs that I need to rip up? And right, say, right, I'm going right, to give right, generously. Right, right. If the Lord has given it to me, I'm willing to give yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, you have knowledge to spare. So <laughs> it's all God's. It's so, all God's so you, anyway. You're just giving of the surplus. <laughs> That's the thing. This yeah, form, yeah. any but that form kind of, thinking, of covetousness yeah. 
it doesn't have to be monetary. It can be intellectual. It can be educational. It can be emotional, emotional, you know, the emotional energy of the needy friend. Yes. You could start with that. You could, you could, there's a way to do, I think it'd be fun to do a version of what Jesus did. Like sometimes I say like to preach in the spirit of the text, you sometimes have to think like, well, what's the rhetorical maneuver Mm-hmm. And if you're not making that maneuver, you might actually undermine accidentally the undermine the text, even if you hug it. Yes. <laughs> and I wonder if at least one of the maneuvers being made here is the painting of a picture of a sort of obviously uh, mm. morally odious figure and then finding a way to turn it on, you know, myself and my own congregation. And I feel crowds. like that would yeah. be, you but know, you have to be careful yes. not to name that's right. The person. That's right. Each of these people are anonymous. That's right. Because keep the, it anonymous. That's right. The anonymity makes it more applicable. I think that's good. That's a good. That's a good. It's it's funny. We often like sometimes we like in this last third section of the pod. Sorry for a meta thing here, but like sometimes we like literally like sit down and like, all right, here's a sermon theme three ser- <laughs> three points poem. We just like hammer it out, right? You, you, you're good friends with Aaron. So, you know, yes. he, he loves this like, Hey, let's actually have this sermon done before we leave. You know? <laughs> okay. 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 Listener, you go add your own illustrations, but there your sermon's done, you know? Um, and then sometimes I have guests on and we do a little bit more meta or homiletical advice. Like here's some things to avoid. Yes. Here's some, here's a big strategy idea. You know, well, and, and beware, like you just said, beware, like make, keep it anonymous. Right. I think that's really good uh, to sort of paint a picture of, of some kind of hoarder as it were. I think um, if you are writing a sermon and there isn't a warning involved to the crowd, then you've missed the warning that yeah, Jesus has given to yeah. the crowd who's listening. And so there does need to be that structure of warning. Yeah. And revealing without names, revealing yeah. that this could be you who is oppressed. Yeah. And you don't even realize it. Yeah. And as long as you're running around focusing on everyone else who's oppressing you, um, even, even rightly, you might be rightly identifying the problem. Nevertheless, there, that kind of, um, that kind of covetousness is just destructive mm-hmm. down into the soul. So um, I would say even for a sermon, just to give another warning, a sermon belongs to the Lord, not you. <laughs> yeah. And you can covet a great sermon. Yeah. Yeah. And you, for those who yeah. are crafting sermons, covet what other great speakers have. Yeah. Instead of letting the sermon be the Lord's. Yeah. And the Lord communicates how the Lord wants. Which then also means, Lord, what have you lent to me? Right. So if you lent, if you've lent to me exegetical knowledge, offer that. If you've lent to me a capacity for great storytelling, then, then do that. Right. And don't get all hot and bothered about the fact that other people's sermons have this or that feature that you lack. Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, that cuts the heart. And I hope that, but in a good way, it's, it's really, that's one of those like convicting, but simultaneously liberating words. I think, I think that's a good word to end with too. Like, I think that if our listeners this week would be freed even just a little bit from, uh, through conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Liberated and convicting from there. Yeah. From our, the avarice with which we treat our own work as preachers. Mm -hmm. That's a good word, man. You're good at this. I need to have you back. No crash, but you know, we're on the phone. I mean, on the phone? What? I'd be we're happy. on the line. Yeah, I'd be happy to come back anytime. Oh, but then I'll owe you. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, you give freely and generously. That's rich right. in God. Rich in God. <laughs> That's good. I love that phrase. And I hope God. that our listeners will be rich in God as well. Yeah, me too. That's great. Well, thank you so much for uh, listening in, uh, everyone. We appreciate you so much. Thanks so much to Dan for being a guest. Uh, thanks be to God. Yeah, thanks be to God. Thanks to God for all the ways that um, this uh, time has been blessed this week. I give big thanks to Eric Fisher and Tabu Shang and all the hard work they do um, to help with the production behind the scenes on this and making it sound great. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating theme music. And uh, we'll just uh, remind you to 
uh, get the word out if it crosses your mind to subscribe to this podcast on whatever uh, um, means you use and to pass it along to your friends and let them know if you think that it would be of some value to them. So uh, with that said, we'll say uh, have a good week and have a good breach. Bye.